Welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we'll be taking a look at the new Marvel film, Captain Marvel. We'll also be looking at the HBO documentary, Finding Neverland, part one. And we'll talk about part two and whether or not we'll watch that. We're going to have a conversation about Marvel's uh, film release schedule, because you may not know, but they're kind of making some interesting moves following Avengers Endgame and Spider-Man Far From Home, so stay tuned for that between our reviews. And before we get to all of it, we need to talk about the news, of course, our first story this week. Uh, future DC films will be less connected, confirms Warner Brothers CEO Kevin Sujihara, I think I said that right? Yes, uh, the idea that future DC films will not be quite as... Uh, marvelized as as they seem to be now andy this is something you found this is actually something you've talked about before <laughs> that's uh, right so i'm interested to see your take on this what do you think uh, well like we've seen with marvel they've done this incredible thing of doing these individual movies that build up to these ensemble movies and it's people have tried to copy it dc tried it the alleged dark universe tried to copy it um and it hasn't really worked and what's worked better for uh, DC is solo films like Wonder Woman, like Aquaman, and uh, they realize that maybe this is a better route to go because it, it's hard to do these interconnected movies. Like you have to film on such a tight schedule. They all have to be successful. They can't be delayed. So it's actually easier if they kind of do one-offs that are loosely take place in the same universe but maybe you don't have the team up of like 5 10 20 heroes all in once uh you know they have these individual films uh shazam joker wonder woman 1984 and birds of prey all up on the slate um and and again these take place in the same universe it looks like but they're they're just not we're not going to see big ensemble films and i think that that's the right move for dc and it's probably the right move for anyone trying to build cinematic universes it's so much easier if you're not trying to do the big ensemble film I think it's important to kind of draw the boundaries of what they mean when they say not particularly interconnected. So correct me if I'm wrong. I'm going to take a crack at this. A fine example. We'll be talking about Captain Marvel real soon. In that movie, it takes place in the past before all the other Avengers and other Marvel films have happened, or at least most of them that I can think of off the top of my head. And while that seems like it would stand apart, it still features characters from those films, at least a couple uh, that are in the trailer, not to be spoilery. Uh, and and in classic Marvel fashion, uh, typically, well, you know what? I don't want to get into if there's any tie-ins to the other movies <laughs> yet. We'll leave that in our review. But what they're saying, DC is not going to do that anymore. F a fine example is Shazam, uh, the new film coming out with uh, uh, Zachary Levi in the titular role. Uh, features zero characters that have been seen in DC movies and and uh, Todd Phillips' new Joker movie recasts Joker and sets it in the 70s. And theoretically, there will be no... No Batman in that. No, no Ben Affleck in that. That's its own thing. Um, what is? I mean, what does that look like when you're trying to build a universe that's not connected? Do you think it still works? Uh, absolutely. I, I mean, like I said, I think this actually frees them up to be more creative, not have to think, how are we going to shove these couple of characters into this movie to make sure that sets up the next movie? You know, you can just, you can do more one-off stories. And what I would like to see, again, are some individual um, kind of classic arcs, but then also small trilogies would, would be great uh, as well. I've talked extensively about like Death of Superman or uh, Kingdom Come, uh, some of these class classic storylines. So it, it it sets you up to do those kinds of things. And I think it's okay if you do a little bit of inter interconnectivity where you'll have maybe a character wander on screen from another 
uh, universe or another franchise. But then again, you're not trying to build it all up to one huge ensemble thing. It's it's an interesting approach, but it's different, which is exactly what we've said DC needs to do this whole time. And I realize this is starting to sound like a comic book podcast, and it isn't. Um, but, you know, comic book movies are a big part of film right now, and, and uh, that's the hot topic, I guess. So yeah, exactly. We'll keep it right here for more DC news and whatever's coming around the corner for them uh, soon. Our next story, Rupert Sanders to direct Vietnam War movie, The Things They Carried, uh, based on a short story, a collection of short stories by Tim O'Brien. I actually read The Things They Carried back in college. Great short story. I don't remember it, but I remember <laughs> reading it. Uh, Andy, you put this in here because you've been on a weird... Uh, weird I, I don't want to give away give it away. <laughs> what have you been watching lately, yeah. and why is the story relevant? I've been on this strange Vietnam kick lately, and it, it started with uh, True Detective Season 3 uh, because it takes place, uh, one of the timelines takes place in 1980 and deals with soldiers coming home from, or who came home from Vietnam. Um, and I've been listening to a, a Vanity Fair podcast, and they referenced this book, The Things They Carried, quite a lot. Um, and then also, since we took off last week, I watched Apocalypse Now for the first time, which, of course, takes place in Vietnam and is based on a loosely based on Heart of Darkness, which so, and I had never seen that before. And it's it's such a classic movie and I've heard so many references to it. So, uh, again, I was on this strange Vietnam kick and then I saw this story about the things they carried. So it all it was, it was a strange kind of coincidence of, of a number of things. Um, but I, they, they talked really positively about the book and how, how it's just uh, a very, I guess, more real and authentic uh, account of the kind of things that happened uh, over there. So it's, uh, I'm definitely excited to see that. And, and I loved Apocalypse Now, by the way. I think just like the Western, the Vietnam War film is not dead. I really, I really believe that. Like there, there's still so much potential for stories to be told over there, just because there were a lot of stories told in the '80s and '90s in, in the back backdrop of Vietnam. Like that doesn't mean you can't revisit that now, and it can work. In fact, I'm hard pressed to think of a movie set in Vietnam during the Vietnam War told from the perspective of an American soldier that I've seen in the last, or that's been made that I've seen in the last like 10 years. I can't think of any. Yeah. So, well, we we've been making Iraq war films and Afghanistan <laughs> war films. It's a good point. American Sniper and the like. Uh, so there's certainly potential for this to become something. Uh, I, I was a big fan of the movie Jarhead. I'd, I'd love some yeah, some yeah. kind of angle like that, like a different look at it, a more personal kind of approach. And, and the things they carried, uh, that's what I remember of that story, very little that I do remember of, of it being very much like a, a kind of singular titular experience with somebody. Maybe you can do something cool there. Or maybe it'll be some lame movie that comes and goes and we don't hear anything else about it. But if there's any more news, we'll keep you posted right here on Offscript. So go ahead and subscribe and you'll hear more <laughs> of that. The last story this week, uh, the weekend box office, Captain Marvel soars to $153 million first week. I heard, Andy, this was more than Black Panther made. Do you know about that? Is that is that true or is that a... Oh, a I, I didn't... I heard that it was behind Black Panther, but I, I'm not, I'm uh, not me, sure of the raw numbers. Let me do some Googling. Stall for time. <laughs> okay. Well, th this is a huge um, achievement. And I mean, we knew that Captain Marvel was going to make a ton of money, um, and it definitely has. It's broken some important records. This is the biggest opening for a female-led film, uh, which was previously held by um, Beauty and the Beast for a, a whole year or two years, whatever it, it is. Um, it's a for and this movie. I mean, this is the first female-led superhero film for for Marvel. Um, so I really wish this film would have come out uh, earlier. But th this is a, a great milestone and a great achievement. And it'll be interesting to see how far this goes. I, I think it could definitely hit a billion dollars. 
All right, I've got my numbers wrong. Uh, Black Panther made 530, 520 million opening weekend, according to Variety. Uh, Captain Marvel has made 455 million. Of course, that's worldwide, but uh, man, color me impressed. And for good reason. And we'll talk about the movie in a second. I swear this is our last news story, but uh, I, I, you know, I'm impressed. I really am. It reminds me of Wonder Woman because I, not, not, not to sound like toxic male patriarchy any of that like i genuinely looked at wonder woman from far away and i was just like that probably won't work but we'll see and it totally did and this movie following wonder woman i felt a lot more confident in but pre-wonder woman i would have felt the same way i'm just like i don't know like audiences are, are very base and crappy and they like white dudes fighting crime that's what they're all about so to have a woman doing it it freaks me out a little bit, and I'm sure the bean counters in Hollywood feel the same way, but it's good to see that not only does this work, not only does this stand on its own, but can continue to work. This formula functions. People want to see this stuff in theaters. It's awesome. It's good news. Yeah, and, and I think what's really important is it means we're going to get more female-led films and more female-led directors, because uh, there's two directors for this film, one of them is a woman. Um, so it's definitely an important milestone, and it's it definitely needed to succeed, and I'm glad that it did. And not only that this is a big step for women in film, but also just diversity in film in general. Black Panther, Captain Marvel, both great. And they remind us that, hey, the old formula, it's good, but it's getting a little stale. Let's change it up. Let's make it work. And they do that in Captain Marvel in a lot of ways. And we should talk about that. So without further ado, uh, let's talk about our first film of the show. The movie is Captain Marvel. War is a universal language. I know a renegade soldier when I see one. Never occurred to me that one might come from above. So Captain Marvel is the story of Fears, I believe is her name at the beginning of the film. A, a, a Kree warrior who's been uh, raised on the planet Kree, who doesn't really remember her past, but knows she's a warrior with these cool photon powers. That's what you see in the trailer and on the poster, of course, the traditional Captain Marvel powers. Uh, Vries is confused, doesn't really know who she is or where she's from, but she knows she's a fighter and she knows she can, she can do things. And she's got Jude Law, who is her... her, her, her uh, a guy trainer, named Yon Rog, trainer. trainer is the term. I was going to look captain, I guess was the word I was looking for. <laughs> Who's your trainer? Uh, they they go on a mission, and, and along the way, she gets tangled up in some stuff and gets a glimpse at her past. And to chase that down, discover who she really is, she travels to C-53, which is Earth in the 90s. She meets up with Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury as a young hotshot cop, and we get this interesting blend of buddy cop and hero movie film that is Captain Marvel, the journey for Brie Larson's veers to discover who she really is. Uh, Andy, what did you think of Captain Marvel? Uh, I really liked it. Uh, it was a lot of fun, great action, um, interesting story, good set pieces. Um, it, it, it had some really good emotional moments and it had some s serious subtext uh, that we can get into later, but I, I really liked it. Um, saw it with a group of friends on Friday night. It was a lot of fun. Highly recommend it. I, well, we haven't gotten recommendations. We got to sorry, do that. Sorry, again, sorry, sorry. No, 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 it's <laughs> too fine. Soon, too uh, soon. We know where you stand. Uh, I liked it a lot. Um, I definitely had some problems, but I think a lot of that would do better with the second viewing. I, I, this is not the kind of movie where I was just like, yeah, it's okay. Maybe if I see it again, I was like, no, no, no. I like this. Uh, uh, I want to watch it again and sink my teeth into it a little bit more because I really struggle from that Marvel fatigue of, of trying to spot references and how does this tie into what and what does this mean? And like, 
I shouldn't do that. I do that with every Marvel movie. But I want to talk about how I got into that. But before we do that, let's talk about the movie proper. All right. Let's talk about Captain Marvel. Uh, What's the best place to start this? Because we got a lot of (laughs) angles. We can talk about casting. We can talk about setting. We can talk about effects because we got to talk about the digital de-aging stuff. That's really important. Um, We can talk about setting in the bigger Marvel universe. I guess we should save that for the end. Let's dig into plot, I guess. That's a good place to start, right? I think that's a good good spot. So what do you think? Um, so that this is probably one one of the criticisms I have is the uh, the plot is a little confusing um, just because there's a lot of kind of jargon and like you have this alien race and that alien race and these are the good guys these are the bad guys and at some point I started to kind of lose track about who was who and what kind of what race was the good guys and what race was the bad guys uh, but but the whole uh, you know the, the whole plot is, is that uh, they're trying to at least at the beginning. They're trying to defend the Kree from the the Squir- Scroll Nation, and there's s- some power source on Earth. Earth they need to get to, and she's training with them. She cannot remember her past. Uh, that's that's the big thing. Uh, she doesn't remember how she got to be with these alien people. She's just there. She just has these powers. Doesn't really know. And we sh- the rest of the movie is her slowly kind of unraveling this mystery. It's a bit of a detective story in in a way, which is something I I really enjoyed. Yeah, it was a change-up from the traditional Marvel, hey, I'm a good guy, there's a bad guy that wants to blow up the Earth, we have to defeat them. Like, which, thank God, ever since I think Thor Ragnarok was the first first Marvel movie that Blue I felt beam. like really started to take a departure from the formula, this one does that too, which is great. It follows in Black Panther's footsteps, Marvel knows, we are getting tired of the same thing, we gotta change it up. This movie chases an almost Tarantino-esque out-of-order plot format. Because it kind of starts in the middle. You don't start at her past. You start on the Kree planet, and then you get a look at the past, and then you move forward, but you're still in the 90s. Like So it kind of feels a little juxtapositioned, but that helps because our main character, uh, Vries, is confused about where she is and who she is and, and what her place is in the universe. And we are too because we don't know who she is. We're coming at this fresh just like she is. And that gives us a really good opportunity to connect to our main character, which is good. Right. And then we're also able to find things like Nick Fury in the movie who we can latch on to. It's like, okay, I know who you are. You're familiar. We can kind of grab onto that and we can slowly climb our way out of a confusing uh, uh, beginning to a pretty satisfying ending. Um, I wasn't super pleased with how it all turns out, but ultimately I'm still on that hot hype train for Endgame. So mission accomplished, Marvel. <laughs> like I can't wait to see what's next, which is exactly... The point of movies like this, I think. Right. When she crash lands on Earth and uh, she gets together with Nick Fury and they're both trying to unravel this mystery, uh, that's that's where you get this great buddy cop thing because she, you know, she's kind of sassy and she's really kind of skeptical and cynical and, you know, you weak human. Uh, um, But they have a really good uh, dynamic that that works throughout the whole film, I think. I think that's a good place to start talking about casting and performances. Sure. Um, the casting is relatively diverse. There were characters in this, uh, like Annette Benning play, plays a, a pretty main role in this, that the whole movie, I was like, what have I seen? Who is that? Like, why do I know her? Right. And I remembered at the end when I saw Annette Benning, I was like, American Beauty, of course. Like, of course I know Annette Benning. Uh, Samuel Jackson is in this movie. Ben Mendelsohn, Jude Law. Uh, uh, not to give away, I don't really talk. I want to talk about anybody else because I feel like anybody else kind of gives stuff away too much. But yeah, sure. all tremendous. 
I, I enjoyed everybody's plot, everybody's performance. Samuel Jackson, somebody made a great Reddit thread about it. I don't know if the guy has ever phoned in a performance ever, and this movie is no different. Arguably, he has the biggest like plot development of everybody. He becomes a different person over the course of the film. He has a he has a first act and a second act, an exposition and, and a climax, and a, like he 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 rolls over the whole thing. Jude Law is great in this movie. I wish that guy got more work in the Marvel Universe because I really liked his character. Ben Mendelsohn is a lot of fun in this movie. If there's anybody I felt was a little weak, and I want to make sure we get your opinion on this before I go any further, it might have been Brie Larson. But what no, do you think? No, I I, I agree. Um, it, and it's not so much that she's weak. Uh, I mean, she's won an Oscar. It's, it's just I've, I felt like they wrote her very middle of the road. Um, very safe. I, yeah, and I, and I think they did that on... on purpose um i was having a conversation with our friend samantha on this i forget what they, what that purpose was but it it's they they wanted <laughs> they was purposely written to kind of not be too like she doesn't have like crazy quirks or like she's not she's not as sarcastic as like tony stark but she's a little bit tony stark um i i, I thought for, with what she was given she was fine i just didn't think her character was written especially like incredibly or unique it's like you said very safe yeah, and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't mean to say that like, I, I don't know, with intention, I guess. Like, I remember seeing articles about this from from places like the Mary Sue that were like, "Oh, uh, Marvel didn't take any risks and couldn't have done more." No, no, no. I'm not saying that. I, I'm I'm not trying to judge this for what it is, and I want to judge it for what it is. She just feels a little all over the place, and maybe that's that. Maybe it's those two directors shining through. But yeah, there were some scenes where she was sarcastic, and there were other scenes where she was really charming and funny. There were other scenes where she was really cold calculated and like i get she's i, I guess the, the angle is she's a soldier and she's a warrior and she's told throughout the whole film to suppress emotion which i think plays into a bigger yeah part bit about feminism but anyway like i think that's part of it right that's that's why it comes off as confusing but because we don't know the character and we don't know who she is or where she's coming from it makes it feel confusing to us i think that's part of the reason i feel like that second watch will be really helpful yeah i'll, I'll something that did stand out like uh, she has lots of fight scenes in here and they all look really good and, I, and i've heard in several interviews that she did lots of conditioning for like a year and showed up like ready to to train and and i mean i think i think it shows she has really like complex uh fight scenes that they you know when you do a fight scene you got to film it over and over so you got to be in really good shape to um I, for the longest time i didn't realize that that's why you had to be in shape it wasn't to actually do it it was just to be able to do the the choreography like repeatedly because you're gonna have to do right. like five takes of, of whatever um, oh yeah so it uh so that stuff the the combat stuff is is really good and i could tell like she put in a lot of work to to condition herself Let's talk about the look and the feel of the movie. That seems like a fine place to segue, right? Uh, talking about combat. I thought the choreography was great, but overall, I think the effects were really convincing. There's a lot of really cool, like, slow-mo and a lot of cool... I don't know. Marvel movies always have a different approach, right? Doctor Strange is supposed to be, like, Inception, like, mind-blowing stuff. Black Panther is supposed to be very rooted in culture. This was kind of an alien approach, a little, little similar to Guardians or Thor, very, like, intergalactic. Um, but it worked, and all the 90s stuff uh, worked great. I mean, her landing in a blockbuster, and then there's a Radio Shack. Generic, but effective. I can't say I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't convinced. There were definitely scenes where I was looking at the back and the background and thinking, you know, I'm sure that building CGI placed, but it looks good. And Samuel L. Jackson's de-aging is surprisingly convincing. Kind of freaked me out, honestly, how convincing it is. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. Um, what do you think? Um, so the, the '90s stuff kind of got old for me. Um, it it just seemed like they were they were trying to pack in as many '90s references, uh, you know, especially through the soundtrack. You know, she, Brie Larson, like when she lands on Earth, she puts on this like 
outfit that's like very grunge and early 90s inspired and it was <laughs> nine just, inch nails too yeah, yeah yeah it was just like uh, i started rolling my eyes after a while because it just wasn't like the 90s <laughs> the, the 90s isn't as charming as, as the 80s I, I feel when you go when you go back and it's I, I those jokes got old for me fast uh, but that being said the uh i mean the humor is really great and i felt it was different you know because marvel had become known for it it's really kind of like these quips and these uh you know something serious is happening let's say something funny and i felt like it really avoided that in in this film where you still have lots of jokes lots of fun funny moments but it's not the humor that we've uh come to expect it was something different and i really like that Briefly, I do want to talk about the music in the film, because you did mention that. The original score, I would argue, other than some cool digital effects, which you'll hear in the trailer, I think I played a bit of it in the uh, open to this segment here. Um, I dug that. Other than that, for me, almost completely forgettable. I can't hum the theme from Captain Marvel. I don't know it. But some of the songs used in it were very 90s songs like No Doubt. Nirvana's in this, which yeah. kind of just felt... I don't want to say it felt out of place, but I wish it was diegetic. One of the charming things about uh, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Peter Quill plays all this stuff off of his mixtape, right? It's yeah, all yeah. in the world of the film. It all applies. Often it's played over a scene. This one, it's not quite as earned. They just kind of play songs out of nowhere, and that's just what what's going on. Like I wish that had been a little bit more, um, I don't know, explainable. <laughs> what what yeah. did you think? Yeah, because to me it was like, hey, guys, remember the 90s? I remember the 90s. <laughs> Yeah, I remember. A little bit. Uh, I remember. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yeah, that that part didn't work work, work as well for me. Uh, Marvel films have notoriously had uninspired soundtracks. The only the only theme I know is the Avengers theme, uh, which is really re- really good. And are you arguably only because you've heard it so many times? But yeah, well, it, it's really recognizable. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe because it's used a lot in memes, but. Um, <laughs> But the other, I mean, none of the other, whereas you take something like, you know, Superman or kind of the older Batman, even the the Hans Zimmer scores that he did for for the Dark Knight trilogy, um, you know, have a really unique sound. But yeah, yeah, Marvel has always struggled to have like really unique soundtracks. And I think they, they just don't they just don't put that much work into them, which is fine. You know, like it's fine. And at the end of the day. I think you're right. Speaking of the end of the day, we should talk about where this movie lands in the bigger Marvel universe. Uh, one of the things that surprised me, because you saw this movie before I did. I saw it just last night. You saw it Friday when it came out, right? Yeah. Uh, you said uh, there was no really bigger tie to the rest of the Marvel universe. And that makes sense. This is early. This is set in the 90s. This is before a lot of other stuff happens. Um, but it obviously has its place, of course. This is like the 87th Marvel film or whatever. So <laughs> in how it ties to the rest of the universe, do you think it's effective? Does it retcon things? Is it ultimately pointless? Um, I I yeah, wish this, that we had been introduced to this character earlier, and I wish this I wish we were already on her second film. Mm. Because it seems like she she is set up to maybe come in and be the savior in Avengers Endgame and I, and for a character that big like when you think of of Captain America or Iron Man you know they each have three solo films so I kind of wish that they had just that they had just done this earlier and like we said it took them 11 years to do a female led film so they definitely should have started this long before but I wish that we were already on her second film and just could get to know her more as a character I agree. Um, it, it really does feel like there should be more to this. 
Thor got three movies. Guardians of the Galaxy has gotten two movies. Probably would have gotten a third uh, if the whole James Gunn thing hadn't happened. But like, it really does feel like she deserves more runway before sweep, sweeping in and being what seems to be, again, we don't know, but what seems to be like she's going to be the the savior, the linchpin that turns around uh, the, the Avengers Infinity War story. I don't feel bad about that being any kind of spoiler. There's a whole tease at the end of, of Infinity War, so you're all probably aware of that who is listening to this, but uh, it really does feel like this person they're basically retconning into the story by setting her original one in the past is somehow going to swoop in and save everybody. And it's like, man, I get you guys set her up to be essentially Superman. Um, no pun intended. But, like, yeah, it bumps me out a little bit. I think she deserves more. Um, yeah. Like, yeah, like I said, I, I just I wish they had started this earlier and she had been introduced to us sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to get into kind of th- uh, themes uh, that, that we have in, in the film. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely this, this theme of, of female empowerment, uh, definitely, because uh, there's all these scenes where she's told, like, you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, but you're not tough enough, uh, lots of those things. Um, there's a really effective... Uh, there was a, a couple of points I got uh, emotional <laughs> Um but uh, there's a really good part, uh, this kind of montage of her falling down, like kind of through time and getting back up is really powerful. Um, but I, I, what I liked is that it wasn't focused just on like you, you as a girl are weak. It was very much just like, it was very relatable even to me as a dude, like, you know, cause men get told that too, that you're not good enough. You're not strong enough. Um, so I, I thought that was kind of, a, it was obviously very much about female empowerment, but I, it speaks to more than just that. Um, and then also another thing, uh, we're introduced to this uh, topic of kind of questioning the pro- propaganda about your enemies. Um, Ooh, I don't want to okay. get, I don't want to get into too much. And I read an article that kind of compared the situation to like the refugee situation in, in many parts of the world today um, with uh, the, the way with the alien species. Um, yeah, and so that I thought those were very. I was surprised that that was kind of in here. These mo- kind of very serious, real world uh, topics that are clearly uh, paralleled in the film, and um, I, I definitely appreciated that. But yeah, there is this. I think this idea about questioning the propaganda that you are told about the people you're told to hate. I'll tell you two things. One, uh, the the thing about falling and, and and getting up. Like, I wish that had been a little bit more contrived i know it was at the beginning of the movie and i know it comes around later but i wish there'd been a little bit more of like a a a storytelling element to it other than just showing us the the image of her falling and getting back up i thought a lot of the dark knight or Uh batman begins uh the very beginning when bruce falls down the well and his dad grabs him and he says why do we fall bruce and you can finish that quote because (laughs) you know that movie and and you you know that scene and like it has power to it even though it's right at the beginning, it doesn't have to come at the end, but then it comes around again and it's got a really satisfying like Dana Moi. Um, this one, I didn't quite get that. I wish I'd been a bit more fleshed out, not to say they should have extended the movie or made it longer, but I, just, I wish, I don't know. I, I, I wish there'd been a little bit more something, a little bit more meat on those bones, you know, because because the, it's good. The bones are there. Like it, it's good stuff, but I, I, I'm, Maybe that's like a cut scene for time or something because yeah. it feels like there really should have been something to that. That was another criticism I heard that um, we kind of wish that we had gotten more of that backstory of her in these kind of younger periods, like when she's growing up or when she's like first a pilot because um, it's just kind of referenced in flashbacks and we don't get a lot of like scenes from back then. And so yeah, yeah that definitely could have been f- uh, flesh- fleshed out a little bit more. 
There was this really cool scene uh, at the beginning when she is getting a, a look back at her past, an unwarranted look back at her past, and they put her as her character in essentially the body of her previous self in a setting. So she's like confused as to, almost like the butterfly effect, right? Like you're suddenly inhabiting your former self in a situation you're not familiar with, even though at the time you were. So people around you were like, why are you being weird? And you're like, I'm not being weird. I thought that was really cool. And I was looking forward to more of that in the movie. It doesn't come around, but like for what it's worth, like it, it, there's something there. Like it really, really is. I, I just, it didn't quite satisfy me. Again, I, I think that second watch will help me a lot. Um, I don't have much to say about the propaganda thing of your enemies. Uh, not to not to deep dive too far down the well here, but I, I I think when you have a confusing plot that's meant to uh, keep the audience as befuddled as the main character, when what is essentially a twist comes along, it it almost doesn't feel as satisfying because you don't understand the world the twist inhabits. So when when somebody pulls back the curtain and goes, aha, it's not really this way at all. It's like, oh, cool. I didn't, I wasn't sure if it I was in the first place. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> great. Um, but it, I still, I still enjoyed where this movie ended up. I still liked what happened and I'm still interested to see where it goes next. So what it's worth, uh, I think I'm about uh, talking about, about done talking about Captain Marvel. Andy, uh, you ready to move on to recommendations? I am. Andy, would you recommend Captain Marvel? Absolutely. I, re I really enjoyed it. It's a great spectacle, good characters, um, strong relationships, good action and set pieces. Uh, I, I really liked it, and it, I think it's going to be a huge hit as well. It already is a huge hit. I would recommend it, too. I, I want to say, if you're about as burnt out on Marvel movies as I am, I wouldn't put this on like Ant-Man level, Ant levels if you can skip it, but I wouldn't put it on Black Panther levels if you have to see it. It's in this weird in-between. So if you're interested, if you think it has something to offer, go check it out. You'll love it and support the people making it because Disney needs more money, of course. If you aren't really sure, wait for it to come to... Well, it won't be on Netflix. I take it back. It's a Disney Plus exclusive. So get Disney Plus and watch it on there when it shows up, I guess. <laughs> uh, but for what it's worth, I liked it. I think it's worth the price of admission. It's a lot of fun at the movies. Definitely. And with that, we should move on to our no, our next topic. Andy, please, you want to do the honors? It's time for the death of cinema. Okay, so we're going to be talking about a new story that uh, apparently after Endgame and Spider-Man Far From Home, Marvel's taking a nearly a year off from any kind of releases where the next Marvel film after Endgame is is scheduled for May 1st, I think sometime in May 2020. And we don't even know what it is. It hasn't been announced what is actually coming out and nothing's been announced past that date. So this is the first time in maybe 10 years that we're going to have a significant break from Marvel films. They've consistently put out three to four films a, a year, uh, usually one in each season just about. Um, and now we're going to have a, a big break. We're going to talk about what that means for Marvel and comic book films. Uh, Zach, what do you think? Well, it's a really, it's a really stunning thing. Uh, this, this really, I mean, this was something people knew about, but it didn't really come to light until uh, it picked up some traction after Deadpool Comics co-creator Rob Liefeld uh, tweeted about it, that we're not getting another Marvel movie for nearly a year. And when we do, we're not even sure what it's going to be. It's crazy. Uh, Marvel's whole scheme now i don't know if they're in like phase two or whatever they're in but phase th their whole, is, you're right their whole thing up through black panther was announced like eight years ago or something you remember they had that they had that that that, that series of logos they launched at comic-con they were like here's everything we're doing 
in, in, in the future. And people looked at it like, that's insane. You don't even know if you're going to get that far. Like, how can you build up that much runway? You don't even know how this is all going to go over. Not only did they set those goalposts, but then proceeded to achieve them and in some cases exceed them, which is great. But suddenly, in a world that has been changed, uh, at least in, in cinema, uh, by the rise of the Marvel comic book film, we don't know what's coming next, and we're not going to have anything for a minute. Now, somebody pointed out, uh, I, I think this was you before we started the show, <laughs> they, they made three movies this year, and they're taking 10 months off. Not huge, right? By any, by any standard of, of film, not a big deal, but this isn't a standard of film, this is Marvel. And right. it's different. <laughs> so what do you... I, I know I, I basically just repeated everything you said to me, but what do you think about this? Uh, I, what's up? I think this is a really good thing. It, I mean, Endgame is going to be this massive thing. It's going to be It's going to be even bigger than um, Infinity War was. And, you know, it, it's going to make it more satisfying if we get a, a break. Um, you know, it, they always talk about superhero fatigue, which is proven time and time again that we are nowhere even close to that. But it's definitely going to help combat any kinds of feelings about that if you give some breathing room between your next project and what is largely going to be the next phase because Spider-Man Far From Home or uh, well, yeah far from home yeah is essentially the start of phase 4 right um, the fourth phase of the MCU and and also there's going to be a lot of resetting we're probably going to see a lot of new characters some characters i'm sure will stay around but we we're pretty sure this is you know uh chris evans this is going to be the end of him playing captain america uh robert downey junior the end of him playing T uh iron man and tony stark uh so it's it's going to be a definitive break between phases. And I think that's going to help with the transition. And there, there's still some exciting things coming. Um, so as we said, Disney plus is launching later this year. And p part of their projects are two uh, Marvel live action series featuring Tom Hiddleston as Loki, like his, his character from Thor mm -hmm. in a, in a live action series. And then also one with Scarlet Witch and vision, Starring uh, Elizabeth Olsen and Paul um, Bettany. Thank you. <laughs> Got it. Got it. <laughs> so e even if we're not getting films, we're definitely going to be getting some more Marvel action on 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 big old Disney Plus. Um, and there's there's a lot coming. The other good thing is that it'll leave some breathing room for DC to do their thing and really give them some time to flex. Um, this break is going to come right when DC the Joker movie comes out because that'll come out in October and far from home will have come out in the summer, obviously. Uh, so I, th I think it leaves some room for D DC to kind of show what they have and without m much competition. I'm, I'm so interested to see what comes next. I, I, we've got some comments from Kevin Feige here, who is of course the head of the Marvel uh, cinema studios whatever uh and he talked about something something people have requested a lot the eternals which is a comic book series in 1976 about a, a race of cosmic characters within the marvel pantheon and people have wanted that he said we're, we're talking about that but what we're also talking about with this fourth phase of the mcu which again starts at the end of endgame and far from home is the first official film in it uh he said we like the idea of maybe starting with an ensemble and then breaking them apart from there. Rather than having the Avengers, which we built up to, what if we start with a group and then pull them apart? That seems crazy, because that's exactly what we were just scolding DC for trying to do. 
but if anybody can do it, I guess it's Marvel, right? If anybody can write the rule book, it's them. Um, I'm I'm so excited about this break. Uh, it's something we said we Star Wars should be doing. Disney should be looking at this and, and, and following that model. It sounds like they are. They're going to take a take a minute, take a breather, figure their stuff out, hire some more people, and then get back on the horse and keep going. I'm excited to see what DC does in that time. Overall, I have trouble seeing how this is in any way a bad thing. This just seems like good news. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think it's, it's I think it's good for cinema. It's good for Marvel. It's good for DC. Uh, it's good for everyone involved, and it'll it'll build up the hype to whatever it is that's coming out that that uh, May twenty twenty date that's still a mystery. And also, just because they haven't announced things doesn't mean there's not things in the works. They just haven't announced it to the public. Um, and and I've read that they they will not announce anything until Far From Home is come and gone. So probably August or late July, we'll maybe hear some more news about some more releases. Right. People have speculated the one movie that they think might be coming somewhere at the beginning of that fourth phase after Far From Home will be that standalone Black Widow movie that supposedly they're still making, but we don't know anything about it. We just It was never canceled. Nobody ever said we're not doing it. So far, it's been green lights all the way, so they're speculating that may be the first. But also, Marvel has said we want to explore new characters, we want to have new and a few old peppered in just to kind of get a crossover. I don't know what's coming. What I do know is, and this is a very brief bird walk, hear me out, man, I, I didn't realize up until talking with Christine about this this weekend how much how much stock I have in Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, <laughs> can we talk about this for a second? Sure, I, I know sure, this is a sure. Bird walk, but hear me out. Man, Robert Downey Jr. not only was, was like the face that launched a thousand ships, right? The Helen of Troy of, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. His Iron Man was what really made it happen. It was not Edward Norton's Hulk. Uh, it was Iron Man and Jon Favreau who were starting this thing that was new and different. Um, but also, you got to look at his value in universe. Uh, his, his, his role in Infinity War and how he is a part of the, 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 the dusting at the end of the movie. He, he has arguably the most emotional bit with Tom Holland. Yeah. Uh, his role in Civil War. He is he's the leader of one side of these people. He, he's, the, he's one side of this two-headed beast that is the Avengers. His role in Endgame is the tease, like the, the opening to tease the film is teasing his death. Like people like Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. <laughs> And that has value. And I don't know what that means, but I, I know that Robert Downey Jr. has said in the past he does not want to stop working with Marvel because they helped revive his career as much as he helped revive their cinematic universe, right? Right. Um, man, I, I, I'm rooting for Tony Stark. <laughs> well, I, I think what what is going to happen with this break, it's an excellent time to pass the torch. And... You know, in the comics, we know different people take up the mantle of heroes all the time. Um, right now, I think in the current Marvel runs, um, Ironheart is the latest Iron Iron Man, Iron Person, who is yes. uh, a teenage uh, black girl. And, uh, you know, Jane, uh, Jane from the Thor movies is she becomes Thor. Uh, so you have a chance to do some some really cool passing the torch moments and you can keep you know, Robert Downey Jr. around, but, you know, he, he can become kind of a 
consulting like he can consult the avengers or some sort of background thing where um i mean because he he really has this great like father-son dynamic with tom holland so like you could see him doing that again taking on a protege to become the next iron man right that was what tied uh the spider-man um homecoming film to the universe he was in it and he helped get a suit for spider-man like and he was kind of a mentor for him like uh, he has so much stock in what they're doing and, and the idea of killing him off seems so crazy to me, like insane, uh, that they would do that. Or be, maybe they do it in some kind of twist later. They're like, oh no, he's fine. I don't know. But, um, man, I, I really don't want him to go anywhere. Yeah. Go, go with the <laughs> Batman beyond model, right? Make him old Bruce Wayne. I'm fine with that. Put him in a wheelchair so he can't do anything and have him consult the heroes or whatever. And, well, here's what I do. Whatever. I'm fine with that. And then in like four movies or in in the next Avengers Endgame, whenever that comes in phase eight or whatever, he can throw on a suit and have one last hurrah and then die tragically or something. I'm fine. I'm fine with that. But like, (laughs) man, man, I, I, I just talking about it, I realized how many of the marvel characters i would be okay with just never coming back and the one that i really get stuck on i'm like man i would hate it if robert downey jr wasn't a part of these films anymore Um, right because i I think he offers so much value to what they're doing um so much of their humor so much of their delivery comes from him and his performance and his his look at uh the eccentric billionaire tony stark i realize i'm going way off the rails on this so i'll bring us back around um (laughs) but for what it's worth i guess i i can't wait to see what's coming i'm excited for the break this is all good news what do you think yeah, I, I think this is the break we we need, and you know it's impressive. Marvel has made twenty one, twenty two. I've lost count of their films. Not a single flop. Some mm. films are weaker than others, and, and I mean they they've set new records at the box office. They've set new records in like how they the production, the connection, and the thing is, Marvel has done this incredible thing in film, but comic books have been doing this forever. They've been doing crossovers and ensemble pieces, and it, it's nothing new in comics. It's just finally been correctly adapted in uh, into film. Mm. Yeah, and and how true to uh, what Marvel is that they would follow that formula. Uh, the last movie we have to talk about, Andy, you've graciously agreed to take the um, summary for this one. Sorry, I don't know why I got stuck on the <laughs> word summary. It's a documentary, which is not something we always do here, but I'm interested to see our... our our approach because it's been a while since we did one please uh without further ado take it away leaving neverland secrets will eat you up you feel so alone i want to be able to speak the truth as loud as i had to speak the lie for so long Uh, so this is the uh new hbo documentary directed by dan reed uh which is about Michael Jackson and uh, the part one that, that we watch is in two parts is a four hour documentary. We did, we're just doing the, the first part. Um, it, it chronicles uh, the lives of, of two young stars, uh, uh, Wade Robson and uh, oh, I just had his name, Jimmy Safechuck. <laughs> Sorry. Part uh, of the reason I, I was excited not to take the summer for this, cause I knew I'd forget their names. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, and it's even, it's hard to find them even on the, the cast list. Yeah. Um, and the, so what the documentary looks at it, it interviews these two stars who were two young stars who loved Michael Jackson, who got to meet him, who toured with him on, you know, on, on like the bad tour on, on these tours in the late eighties, early nineties. Um, and who then alleged that he sexually abused them. 
which is a really good time to put in, uh, sorry, a trigger warning uh, that there's this is going to be a very serious uh, discussion and documentary deals with uh, child sex abuse. So just so yes. you know. Yeah. Just so you know, this is going to be r- real serious. So we saved this. We saved this one for the end on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Uh, gosh. <laughs> so, so, and the what the documentary follows is it. It basically interviews these two boys who are now in their you know their full grown men in their thirties or early forties and their families, and they kind of chronicle what happened, how they got into this scene, how they got to meet Michael Jackson, eventually be be friend. He became kind of like a friend of the family, and eventually. They allege it turned into an inappropriate uh, relationship. Um, this is some this is some heavy stuff. It's it's incredibly heavy con- subject matter, and it's um, you know Michael Jackson is not new to these kinds of of allegations. He he had to go through two trials in the '90s and early 2000s uh, for allegation these kinds of allegations. Um, so that's what the that's what the documentary is. It's not a real upper. Uh, Zach, what are your first thoughts here? Man, uh, I like so much about how this movie is made um, in practice, like the way it's shot, the way it's archived, some of the footage and the things they get. The interviews are, are captivating. It is really, really well made. In concept, I struggle with the premise because ultimately, while it is a well-made documentary, it's it's pretty it's pretty unabashedly one-sided. And while I don't want to defend, I, I think it's worth stating. I think any any good documentary should be able to present a series of ideas to you and leave you to be the judge. Whereas this movie doesn't do that. Uh, it, it, it removes your ability to make a choice, which in some weird twisted way sounds like a pun and it totally isn't. Um, what do you think, Andy? Um, so like I said, this was really tough for me to get through on a number of levels. Number one, it is, it's, it's very long. It's too long. It's two hours and it's mostly just interviews with the, the two, uh, guys who who toured with michael jackson and their families it's just lots of dialogue lots of talking there's lots of of aerial shots of different places like in like neverland ranch and like different miami uh places in australia Uh, it's so there's that it's just long and lots of talking also it's it's pretty emotionally draining because you probably you end up listening to about an hour and 40 minutes of of two men recounting sexual abuse as children and that that's just it's that's a lot to get through um and it's it's really frustrating because um you know the the parent you know the, the children are completely blameless and all this but like what i just the whole time i was like what were the parents thinking like it i mean and i'm sure they were they were starstruck because you know it's michael jackson and he's like a friend of the, like he would visit these people's houses. He would like send them faxes. They would call him and talk with him on the phone. Just seems like, you know, and he'd say, Oh, I'm going to do so much for your kid's career. You know, I'm going to help train him. He's going to be a star. And it's like, you know, who wouldn't kind of go, go along, but then there's so many red flags, you know, when they, uh, you know, basically at one point their kids start staying in Michael Jackson's hotel room and this doesn't raise any red flags or everyone's like, well, I, yeah, I guess it's fine. And it's, like no, it's not <laughs> at, at all. Um, 
Yeah. Um, and and so I guess at, at the end of the day, I just like I'm not real sure what I'm supposed to get out of this because this isn't information that we don't really know, and it also everyone's just terrible. Like the <laughs> the well, it's just like the 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 parents are so starstruck and so like you know in love with the the fame and the money that they're completely abandoning common sense and safety for for their kids regardless of anything happened or not they just put them they put their kids they allowed their kids to be in situations for bad things to happen yeah and 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 okay before we get too far down that rabbit hole let's just let's Sorry. step back <laughs> i know because I, I i'm trying i'm trying to get back into where you're talking about and i want to but i worry if we go too far down down where this movie lands ideologically we're not going to talk about how it's put together so let's talk about that for a second let's sure, uh, sure. real quick um you're right this movie is almost exclusively interviews with these two men and they're they're interspersed and it'll hang out with one for a while and their family a little bit and then it'll cut to another one a little bit and talk about them I had trouble finding where those land in the timeline of Michael Jackson's life. I didn't know if they were simultaneous. I didn't know if they were different. Like, I, I, it took me a while to figure that out. And I'm not even really sure I ever did, because ultimately it kind of didn't matter. Um, we should talk about that in a minute, why the truth is relevant. <laughs> right. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Just stay tuned. We'll get, we'll get there. Um, I, 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 like I said, I like so much about how this movie is made. The stock footage, the old photos like material they present as evidence they have jewelry and 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 faxes and signatures and merch and hats and and like yeah they have ton, tons of, of these kids and stuff and concert footage like all of that is great and it cuts all the, to all that at great times it's edited brilliantly it's shot brilliantly these guys are shot on this yeah, like kind of dark room with blue light and like it's interesting and it's got gradients the camera angles are fine like it looks like a great movie from from like watching the trailer. It looks like a really well made documentary because I think it's very well put together. Right, right, definitely. I, I think. <laughs> sorry, I was hoping you'd take the take that and run. <laughs> no, no, uh, sorry. I I know. I, I I agree. Like the archival footage is great, and that's what you want to see in a documentary. In do documentary, you want to see like old photos and old recordings and old, I mean, cause they do have all this great footage from like the 80s, late eighties, early nineties of these kids, like impersonating Michael Jackson and doing like these really pretty incredible, uh, uh, imitations of him, which got his attention in it and is how they got to be on tour. I mean, one of the kids, uh, Jimmy Safechuck is Australian. I think that's, he's Australian. It's either yeah. him. Or, it's, and you know, they got to meet Michael Jackson in Australia and eventually that, ended up with them moving to the the states yeah it, um, it does this it does this great job of putting you in the family's shoes in a different time because to them michael jackson is just that michael jackson is larger than life is this huge character and as we're watching it us the audience feel the same way i mean i know we've heard things of course but ultimately i think a lot of people listen to his music and they think you know what this guy probably wasn't so bad right like a lot of us approach that in the same way so when they say of course we were cool with it He's Michael Jackson. He's like the coolest guy in the world. Of course we wanted our kids to hang out with him. And he wanted us to all come out to the ranch. Of course we won. Why wouldn't we? Like, that all seems logical. And it starts to seem illogical at some point. But then again, Michael Jackson hanging out with your 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 seven-year-old definitely seems illogical. Like that. So we start to end up, like, kind of worming down this rabbit hole with them. But we are filled with this sense of dread because of the presentation and because we know where it's going to end up. Right. And, and, and we get that from these interviews and like, that's, 
It's really engaging, again, for the first two hours of this documentary. It is a four-hour documentary split in two parts, but it is, like, at Sundance, it was screened all four, so we only saw what is supposed to be the first half, but it's a really interesting way to go to kind of, like, and that's good storytelling, to start at, start at the top and then just slowly tumble your way down, right? right and it right. just gets worse and worse and worse. Really engaging, really well told, um, but definitely confusing ideologically. Yeah, I, I got a little confused about who was a member of like which kid was with which family and who was part of whose family like that that gets a little confusing right and i got lost in the timeline i was like are these two kids hanging out with him in the same years or this is is this a different time like because they were both telling very similar stories and that, and that kind of comes around towards the end when it's it's presented that they were not the only two that were involved in things like this that there were more these are just the only two that are featured in this documentary right. um so yeah, man, it's difficult to talk about this stuff objectively. I guess we should move into uh, uh, moral presentation, right? <laughs> sure, sure. So, like I said, uh, just to kind of kick this off, um, it 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 feels very one sided. Uh, I told Andy before we started the show, and I said I'll probably talk about this during the episode, and I will. So, if I if if you think this is an incorrect analogy, let's talk about it because this is the best one I can put forward. It reminds me of like a documentary about like the Amityville horror when you're listening to the people who were really there and they were just like, this really happened and it was crazy. And while they're talking, you cut to like stock footage of the house and maybe like a scene from the movie and like more stock footage and drone footage. And then it's back to them talking about how it really happened. There's never a presentation of counter argument and maybe there doesn't sure. have to be, but like there has to be, I think in any good documentary, there has to be at least a presentation of ambiguity. Because ultimately, a documentary is produced out of a story that nobody really knows. We don't know what happened. This is just one side of it. This is just what we think. And like, I wish that was a little bit more of a thing. I think if something like Netflix is making a murder, not a doc, not not a, not a movie, it's a TV series. But even still, there, there's a little bit of, of of ambiguity around Stephen Avery. There's still a a bit you could argue. You could be like, well, maybe I don't know. Maybe this is one sided. Who knows? This movie really makes no effort to hear the other side at all. It is. This is fact. This is what happened. This is where we're going, um, mm -hmm. which presents a very strong case, but objectively feels just that one sided, just as one sided as if the Jackson family put together a documentary about how great Michael Jackson was and how these are all lies. And here's why it's, right. it's just as one sided as that. And you have to it's difficult for me to forget that when I'm watching this movie. Right. Well, um, I, I would argue that the, you know, victims in this kind of situation rarely have a platform to tell their side of the story at, at all. And I mean, we, most people are familiar with this, the situations and scenarios. And I think that's actually what I have a problem with is that not so much that it, it's one sided, but just that I'm not learning anything new and I'm not, more importantly, I'm not presented with new ideas. And that's what I feel like I want to learn from a document. I want a documentary to bring up questions for me to think about. I think about uh, like Into the Abyss, which is about death row, um, takes place in Huntsville actually. And like the, Werner Herzog, Werner Herzog um, directed that. And he never asks or says like, what do you think about death row? What do you think about the death penalty? He never says that, but he, he asked that question through the film, through his filmmaking, the, the morality, the justification, like is this, like he, he brings up all these great questions. And that's what I feel like this is lacking is we're not like, what is it bringing up? Like we're, right. we're told these stories that 
that most most people, if you if you're old enough that you remember when Michael Jackson was dealing with these allegations uh, to begin with, um, and, and you're right, it, it is a very one sided uh, part of the story. I'm definitely leaning lean to the side of of you know believing victims when they come forward because it's a very difficult thing to do. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, like my my issue is that it's just uh, what are we supposed to get out out of it because it's it it seems like all the adults involved were just so stupid and, and allowed for all this to happen, you know, because it's, you know, if it, even if it did like, okay, you have Michael Jackson then who's the bad guy, but then there's lots of other people involved. Like the, again, the parents going off and leaving their kids with Michael Jackson at Neverland for five days, uh, that sort of thing. Or, you know, there's lots of people that facilitate, like someone's got to get the host. Someone's got to book the, there's a whole thing about the hotel rooms, about how the mother's hotel room slowly got farther and farther away from Michael Jackson's hotel room, you know? And it's like, well, there were other people involved in, in allowing this to happen. And it's just, I'm just like, everyone in this is terrible. (laughs) Yeah. It's, and it's, it's tough to square that because that's such a great, that's such a great analogy with talking about the Werner Herzog film. Cause you're right. He never asks the subject, what they think. He asks you what they think through the presentation of the subjects. Like you're really ultimately the person that matters. Um, this movie doesn't do that. It's just, Hey, here's the deal. And like, I, I, I agree. Like these, these men talking, this family, obviously what they're saying is very heartfelt. They very much believe what they're saying, which makes a very compelling argument because you don't get to hear the other side. Uh, and, and we still don't. Like, we, you know, we're not, we, we can't have Michael Jackson come out and make a statement about this. Like, right. And even right. if we did, what would it mean, you know? Um, still, it's, it's a tough watch. Yeah, it, it, it's tough to get through. I mean, after about an hour and 15 minutes, I just I had a hard time focusing. Like, it was just yeah. both because of the subject matter and just the, the format of having to listen to these interviews. We yeah, and and that that does ultimately hurt the film. Uh, you mentioned at the beginning of this review, the runtime, four hours is too long. It's too long for any documentary. Like it just is. That you could have cut this down significantly. This movie spends nearly, uh, I, I would say, forty five minutes just talking about these boys growing their relationship with Michael Jackson, from when they met him to talking about sexual activity 45 minutes i'm like that could have been 10 like you could have cut that down so far and like it's not to say it doesn't have power that's not to say well that makes it better but i was the same thing i I made an hour 15 into this and i was like i'm starting to check out like it's it's just tough for me to stay tuned even when you get to the dark stuff like i think it's just a thing of editing you just need to tighten it up that's not to criticize the story that's not to criticize the rhetoric that's just in the way the story is told uh what do you think well, and so it takes about 40, 40 minutes before they start to get into the darker stuff. Um, yeah. I think that they could have, should have gotten there sooner. Um, and then yep. that, w- that would have cut it down to like an hour and 40 minutes. Um, would have been a lot, lot more. Because their stories are very similar. You know, that they, they do, con- do contests. They impress Michael Jackson. They get asked to go on, do a show. Then they go on tour. Um, then they do more shows, then commercials, then they get a cool hat from him, then they go see the ranch, then their parents come over. It's all very explained, yeah. Yeah. And very deliberate, I should say. That's definitely part of the approach. They are, they are incredibly graphic 
in, in what they're saying. That, that was part of the approach. I remember reading an interview with the director who said, no, that's exactly what I wanted out of them. I wanted them to, to very openly and plainly state, almost like they would in a courtroom, what exactly happened. Yeah, that's that's um, like that reminds me of uh, Spotlight. Um, did you ever see Spotlight? Yeah, uh, Michael Keaton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Spotlight. Yeah, uh, so Mark there, Ruffalo's in that movie. Yeah. There's a similar scene where um, Rachel McAdams is interviewing uh, a, a man who... Uh, was abused by uh, the Catholic Church, <clears throat> and uh, you know he starts very generically saying, "Oh, and then, uh, then I was abused or something like that." It says something non-specific, and she says, "No, I'm going to need you to, sp- to specifically tell me what happened." Um, and it's right. really, and it's it's really shocking and powerful when when it is that way, and that's what we get in in this film as well. It's not, it's not things aren't ambiguous; like they're very explicit about what was happening. Which is probably for the best as far as the storytelling is concerned. Um, and it certainly makes it a lot more engaging because you you don't get that ambiguity that you're used to. It's, oh, oh, wow, okay, this is actually very intentional uh, in its delivery, which I, I guess I appreciate. Um, it makes the documentary feel cutting and it makes it feel more powerful, um, which ultimately is to its benefit as a documentary, uh, as a piece of cinema. Um what, what, I, what, yeah, what, what else? I, I don't so want to say I'm ready to move on to recommendations, <laughs> but I, I don't know. What, where, where do so we go an, from here? Another issue that I, that kind of brought up to me, and, and uh, that, you know, thinking about themes of the documentary, there's definitely this whole thing about being starstruck and being so enamored with a celebrity that you just kind of let them do anything. But, you know, uh, whether the allegations are, are true or not, Michael Jackson was still very destructive to these families. Um you know, there's this whole, he ends up kind of becoming a father figure to these boys, and that kind of shoves the existing fathers out of out of the picture. And I mean, both of the fathers are pretty much absent from, they're absent from the documentary, and they seem to like ha- have become, against their will, become absent from their kids' lives during this period. Uh, at one point, uh, one of the family from Australia, the the mother, son, and daughter, decide to move to the States and they leave their brother and father behind. And it's just, that's crazy to think, but that's, it was a very destructive thing regardless of the, the sexual abuse allegations. Yeah. I think you're right. Uh, I, I think the, the movie does a fine job of kind of presenting that. Um, I don't know, man. I, I, I think I'm about right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've spent I've spent enough time uh, in a place talking about this movie. Ultimately, um, I guess I'll get to ultimately when we when we talk about it. Are you Are you ready? Any Any other I, points you want to make? I am ready. <laughs> uh, Andy, would you recommend uh, Leaving Neverland Part One? I'm gonna go with a hard no. <laughs> Ooh, all right. Probably my first hard no uh, ever. It's maybe yeah. It, it It's very. It's really hard to get through because of the length, because of the style, and because of the subject matter. I mean, it was just draining to get through. And also, ultimately, I don't like I don't learn anything new that I didn't really kind of generically already didn't know. It doesn't bring up new uh ideas or questions. It, it doesn't like you said it's very one-sided. It doesn't you know, it doesn't chastise the parents for the way they acted cuz ultimately they're who is mo- most responsible for this. They put their children in a situation that was not safe, and they totally threw... I mean, like, replace Michael Jackson with anyone else, like a family friend or a teacher, and there's no way you would let any of that happen. 
Um, and so there's no excuse for, for you letting that happen just because it's a famous person. But, but you know, like I said, the starstruckness of it is, is a big um, issue. But, yeah, I, I just didn't get much out of it. I have no desire to see the second half. Like, I don't, I guess maybe it's going to go into the trial stuff uh, there, but I just, um, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to get out of it, and I don't even want to finish it. So I'm going to go with hard no on this on this one. Yeah, I I think I'm in the same boat. And that's not to say it's not well-made. If you're a diehard documentary fan and you want to see stuff that's real and raw, go ahead and give it a watch. If you're anybody else, do yourself a solid. Just assume whatever was in the news about Michael Jackson being a creep is true and move on. Don't bother watching because there's, there's nothing... Man, it's some bold cinema, but but ultimately, like, there's nothing in there that's redeemable enough to be like, oh my god, you have to go out and see this. It's just gonna bring you down. It's just gonna make you feel bad, and it's just gonna make you not. I don't know. And I feel weird giving it a no. You know, I feel weird telling people don't see it because of that. You know, I, I want to talk about things on this show that that challenge mindsets and 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 encourage people to educate themselves in a new and different way and a lot of documentaries do that but this one like man it's just a tough watch from start to finish it's it's just hard um, yeah and i mean i'm i'm old enough that i remember growing up with these when the when these cases were happening when the allegations came out when he went to trial when he when the second one when he went to trial again um so i like i'm not learning anything new and like and i mean if you're younger it yeah maybe it is going to be new to you but it's even then, I had I just don't see what you're supposed to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. I guess that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> on that sour note. <laughs> let's talk true. about on next that, week. On that oddly sour note that almost never happens. Uh, thank you for listening to Off Script with us. Uh, if you liked the show, if you want to hear more, if you want to tell us what you thought of things, if you think we're crazy about Captain Marvel, or maybe we don't know what we're talking about that's fine with his leaving Neverland thing. I knew I was going to mess up Finding <laughs> Neverland. I knew I was going to do that. We talked about it before the show. I almost made it to the end, and here I am. Uh, if you want to tell us what you thought, please email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. We are on Facebook. We are on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're everywhere. Get involved with the show. Drop us a line. Send us a message. We want to hear what you have to say. And check out our website, mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Next week, we are watching, I want to make sure I get the name of this right, Triple Frontier on Netflix, which I don't know pretty much anything about other than Ben Affleck's in it. So ben color Netflix, me intrigued. Oscar Isaac, yep. Oscar Isaac. Uh, yeah. and, and Climax. The Gaspar Noir film. Gaspar No film? Noe film? No way. Uh, it's, showing, it's showing at the Texas Theater. For those of you North Texas locals, uh, we're going to be checking it out there this weekend. Come see it with us. Come check it out. We'll go with you. We're not antisocial. Okay, well, I'm antisocial. And, he's not, <laughs> I guess. Uh, and that's what we're going to be watching for next week. So stick around um, and keep it here on Offscript for all of your bold cinema news from all of us at Offscript, the home of bold cinema. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.